The former U.S. ambassador to Ukraine said she felt threatened by President Trump. The lead starts right now. Breaking today, transcripts from key testimony released in the impeachment probe detailing the way President Trump allegedly abused his power with Rudy Giuliani as his pit bull in Ukraine. Deny and delay, four White House officials snub their scheduled testimony today as Democrats on the Hill say the Stonewall strategy is actually helping their case. Plus, red alert for Democrats. New polls suggest President Trump still might have an edge in battleground states, depending on who they nominate. What voters in critical counties are saying, if anything at all, about impeachment. Welcome to The Lead. I'm Jake Tapper. We begin with the politics lead. The House Intelligence Committee earlier today released the depositions of two key witnesses in the impeachment inquiry, and it provided much more detail about the shadow Ukraine policy that is leading to the president's likely impeachment. For his part, President Trump continues to attempt to defend himself, mainly by attacking his accusers and lying about them. For instance, claiming that the whistleblower complaint has been proven false, even though it has not, multiple former and current Trump administration officials who have testified have backed up the whistleblower's allegations that American foreign policy and taxpayer dollars were being used to force Ukrainian government officials to investigate former Vice President Biden and his son. In addition to his attempt to change how foreign policy is acceptably conducted in the, in the United States, the president is not just challenging the testimony of those who are bringing these facts to the public, he is personally going after them, pushing false information about them, calling for journalists to expose the identity of the whistleblower, echoing deranged calls for the whistleblower to be criminally investigated and even threatening to reveal what he suggests will be damaging information about one official, a lieutenant colonel, Iraq war veteran and Purple Heart recipient who fought and bled for the U.S. overseas and also testified despite all this. The steady stream of damaging information about the president and his dealings with Ukraine continues to flow. We learn new details today from former Ukraine Ambassador Marie Ivanovich. She was removed from her position after a Rudy Giuliani-led disinformation campaign. And Ambassador Michael McKinley, a former senior advisor to Secretary of State Mike Pompeo, who resigned earlier this year in disgust, as CNN's Alex Marquardt now reports. The impeachment inquiry today reaching new heights as transcripts of closed-door testimony were released to the public for the first time. Explosive comments made under oath by former ambassador to Ukraine, Marie Yovanovitch, and Michael McKinley, a former top aide to the Secretary of State, who resigned in protest. Yovanovitch telling lawmakers that the rogue Ukraine policy, led by President Trump's personal attorney, Rudy Giuliani, was not good policy, kind of a partisan game that cut the ground from underneath the U.S. embassy. Ukrainians were wondering whether I was going to be leaving, Yovanovitch said, whether we really represented the president. Yovanovitch said that late last year she learned from Ukrainian officials about a concerted campaign that Giuliani and a former prosecutor had plans and that they were going to, you know, do things, including to me. A senior Ukrainian official warning her to watch her back. That smear campaign... Uh, orchestrated by this irregular channel, was successful in removing a U.S. ambassador uh, and tarring her reputation. After repeated attacks from Trump allies like his son, Don Jr., and Giuliani, Yovanovitch, who is a 33-year veteran of the Foreign Service, went to Ambassador Gordon Sondland, appointment for the president on Ukraine, for advice. His response? You need to go big or go home 
tweet out there that you support the president and that all these are lies and everything else. McKinley, for his part, said he was disturbed by the implication that foreign governments were being approached to procure negative information on political opponents and what appears to be the utilization of our ambassadors overseas to advance domestic political objectives. He went to Secretary of State Mike Pompeo three times for a show of support for Yovanovitch, but Pompeo didn't respond, which is directly at odds with what Pompeo told ABC News. I never heard him say a single thing about his concerns with respect to the decision. So you were never asked to put out Not once, not once, George, did Ambassador McKinley say something to me during that entire time period. Officials at the State Department were reluctant to show support, Yovanovitch said she was told, in case the rug would be pulled out from under them by Trump. Finally, Trump pulled Yovanovitch out of Ukraine in May. She said she was called at one o'clock in the morning and told to get on the next flight to Washington. I heard very, very bad things about it for a long period of time. Not good. This is just the beginning of these transcripts being released. Jake, there is much more to come. There have been 13 hearings behind closed doors so far. Tomorrow, we are expecting to see two more transcripts, those of the uh, EU ambassador, Gordon Sondland, and the former special envoy uh, to Ukraine, Kurt Volker. Jake. All right, Alex Marquardt, thanks so much. Uh, let's dive into all of this uh, with our experts here. And Jack, let me start with you. So um, Yovanovitch, uh, the former U.S. ambassador to Ukraine, testified that the Ukrainian interior minister told her around February, I really needed to watch my back, uh, Yovanovitch says, in part because Giuliani and his associates were trashing her and pushing Ukraine for dirt on Biden. Quote, to start kind of getting into U.S. politics, into U.S. domestic politics, including, quote, looking forward to the 2020 election campaign and whether this would somehow hurt former Vice President Biden, I think he felt that that was just very dangerous terrain for another country to be in, unquote. So already in February, according to Yovanovitch, the Ukrainian interior minister is feeling the pressure of this investigation into the Bidens, as well as other investigations. Well, and you also have meetings in the background. You have Rudy Giuliani meeting with some of these officials. So, yes, this pressure campaign has been going on for a while, but it took a while. And the president had been listening to his advice, some of these, um, the kind of other parallel track, the non-official advisors, when it came to Ukraine and sort of poisoning the well. And that fell back on this ambassador, despite any kind of internal push like you saw with McKinley to bolster her and to back her up. And and Anna uh, asked about the shadow Giuliani Trump policy. Yovanovitch says, quote, it was distracting in many ways. And, quote, Ukrainians were wondering whether I was going to be leaving, whether we really represented the president, U.S. policy, et cetera. It really kind of cut the ground out from underneath us. So not an easy uh, position to be in if you're the ambassador. You know, I I found the, the, the transcript of that testimony today so upsetting and troubling because, look, people need to understand that career service officers work for decades, oftentimes in lowly positions, in dangerous countries, in countries where there are hardships, separated from their families, making less money than they would in the private sector. That's what it takes to become an ambassador. It takes decades of foreign service career, um, you know, work. And and for them to be treated this way, I, I can only imagine what the morale can be today at the State Department if they're reading this and listening to this. And shame on Pompeo for not having stood up for her. Shame on Donald Trump for speaking about a U.S. diplomat this way to a foreign government. And, and, and to Ambassador Yovanovitch, 
thank you. Thank you, ma'am, for your service. Thank you for your patriotism and your willingness to speak the truth. And, and Chairman Rogers, so Yovanovitch is at, at, at what point? She's at Georgetown now. I think she's still teaching there. She's uh, still being paid by the State Department, but she's not, no longer ambassador. She says when she read that rough transcript, and it mentioned President Trump is in there saying uh, to the Ukrainian president that she's going to go through some things, uh, Yovanovitch. Um, the question, what did you understand that to mean? Answer from Ivanovich. I didn't know what it meant. I was very concerned. I still am. Question, did you feel threatened? Answer, yes. And she says that she still doesn't know what that was about. She doesn't fear for her safety, but she has friends who fear for her safety. I mean, it must be jarring to read that. Yeah, I mean, it's awful. This is the craziest thing about this. If the president of the United States wanted to remove an ambassador who is the president's representative in that particular country, he just picks up the phone and said, I want to remove that ambassador. I want someone else in there. None of that has to happen. There doesn't have to be any of dual track uh, or uh, diplomacy that they put that put this grand conspiracy together. That's what's so shocking about this. I mean, this is the president's style of getting people to do other things for the president, including not being able to fire people that he wants to fire from his administration, having someone else do it. This is all of that wrapped up into that very conversation that something bad is going to happen to this you know, career diplomat. It's okay to disagree with a career diplomat. That's okay. Yeah. Uh, there's processes for that. The, to go through all of this mess just makes it look worse and worse and worse. And, all, and, and again, it's, it's tragic the way they handled this with a distinguished career diplomat who was doing what she believed was in the best interest of the United States. And she goes through the list of conspiracy theories about things that she was accused of having done or thought, or, and she says none of them are true. Um, and there's another person who, uh, whose testimony was released, uh, Ambassador McKinley, mm-hmm. who was an advisor to Pompeo. Uh, he was asked about his decision to re- resign, quote, uh, the question, part of the reason why you decided to resign was that you couldn't be blind to what was happening. What was happening was efforts to use the State Department to dig up dirt on a political opponent. Is that fair as well? And McKinley responds, that is fair. And if I can underscore, in 37 years in the Foreign Service, I had never seen that. Uh, you used to work at the State Department. People are not, I mean, I think there are, there's a segment of the public who thinks, well, this is just politics. This is not normally what's done. No, absolutely not. Um, you know, I was a political appointee at the State Department, and you are told to check your politics at the door, and people remind you of that frequently. And they are very skeptical of people who come in there and are political, because the, the Foreign Service, the Civil Service, is who really runs that building and keeps it functioning from decade, year to year and decade to get decade. And, you know, I think anyone reading uh, what Ambassador McKinley, they don't have to read the whole thing, but read exactly what you, uh, what you highlighted there. Uh, It's a reminder that this is not normal. Um, And what Masha Yovanovitch, what Ambassador Yovanovitch did was exactly what her job was, which was to push back on corruption in Ukraine, something people across party lines agreed on, that people within the government and several agencies agreed was a problem. That's exactly what she did. Pompeo, there was bad blood about him for, for long before this because he was the one who led the Benghazi investigations and brought many of these people, many career foreign service officers, up to the Hill under political auspices. So there already was skepticism about this. When he didn't stand up for any of them, it just poured, poured more uh, more flames on it. Made right, flames uh, go crazy. Every, everyone stick around. We've got more to talk about. President Trump and some Republicans are attacking the whistleblower for doing the exact same thing President Trump refused to do. Uh, then uh, we ask uh, voters about impeachment in one of the states that could decide the 2020 election. Democrats will definitely want to hear what they have to stay, say. Stay with us. And we're back with the politics lead. President Trump claims he has nothing to hide when it comes to the Ukraine scandal, except, of course, that's arguably what he instructed four White House aides to do today, to 
hide to defy congressional subpoenas and invitations to testify. Two lawyers on the National Security Council, one assistant to the acting White House chief of staff and one official with the budget office, all four set to give depositions today on Capitol Hill. Not one of them showed up. CNN's Pamela Brown now reports on the Trump administration's stonewalling. As President Donald Trump rolls out the red carpet for the World Series champion Washington Nationals. America fell in love with the Nats baseball. They just fell in love with Nats baseball. That's all they wanted to talk about. That and impeachment. It's clear he is still seeing red when it comes to the impeachment inquiry, continuing his attacks on the Democratic-led investigation and again spreading falsehoods about the whistleblower who started it all. I don't know if that's true or not, but what they said is he's an Obama person. Uh, It was involved with Brennan, Susan Rice, which means Obama. Uh, But he was like a big, a big uh, anti-Trump person. The president again demanding the whistleblower be unmasked, despite his or her identity being protected by law. Trump erroneously tweeting, the whistleblower got it so wrong that he must come forward, reveal the whistleblower and end the impeachment hoax. The whistleblower's attorney, Mark Zaid, firing back, telling CNN the fixation on the whistleblower is simply because the president and others are at a loss on how to address the investigations the underlying disclosure prompted. That comes as the whistleblower's attorneys offered Republican lawmakers the chance to submit written questions directly without having to go through the committee's Democratic majority. Trump's response, not good enough, tweeting, he must be brought forward to testify. Written answers, not acceptable. Even though written answers were exactly what the president gave special counsel Robert Mueller. My phone call was perfecto. It was totally appropriate. And now the president may also be changing his story with regards to his July phone call with Ukrainian President Zelensky that the president has repeatedly claimed was perfect. When this came out, it was quid pro quo. Well, there was none. There was no quid pro quo. It was a perfect call. There was no uh, quid pro quo. But then noting on Twitter that even if there was quid pro quo, quote, it doesn't matter. There is nothing wrong with that. It is not an impeachable event. Perhaps so, but read the transcript. There is no quid pro quo. And the president appearing to change his tune as more Republican lawmakers are saying uh, that the phone call did raise concerns for them. It's not something they would have done, but that it's not impeachable. Jake, we'll have to wait and see what the president has to say about the matter here at this rally tonight, whether he continues to change his tune on that matter. Jake. All right, Pamela, thank you so much. Appreciate it. Uh, Let's chew over all of this. First of all, uh, Mike Rogers, let me ask you, as a former chairman of the House Intelligence Committee, do you think that the Republicans should take the whistleblower's attorney, Mark Zaid, up on his offer? And if they have questions for the whistleblower, who it looks like he might not actually testify, submit them to him. They don't even have to go through the Democratic chairman and he'll he'll do his best to get them answered. What do you think? I mean, they should take advantage of it. I will say in the sense of fair, everything that they do in this process that doesn't have this appearance of fairness uh, is going to haunt them, right? It further divides the country. I I don't like any of it. I do think if you're going to do an investigation, which is an uh, an impeachment inquiry, having those discussions, you don't have to have with everybody, but you have to have somebody in the room because there's going to be details in that uh, whistleblower's complaint that they're going to want to flesh out a little bit. I would definitely take up on the, the written answers. I, I, a, I, candidly, I don't think it's the president's 
uh, purview to say what is and is not in the purview of a congressional investigation. Right. That's not his business. Um, and so I, I would take it up, but I would continue to say, hey, listen, if there's something in here that we need to flush out in an investigation, it, especially if they're going to go through an impeachment inquiry, then they should have the right to sit in the room and do it. Now, that said, mm-hmm. disclosing a whistleblower is a crime. Uh, and the people that they put in the room need to know that. And, and the president has been the president has called for this crime to be committed. He's told the media to disclose the name of the whistleblower. Right. And he's kind of taunted and called on members of his own party to to expose or to look for the whistleblower and the whistleblower's name. Look, the, the piece I would disagree with here is that the whistleblower complaint is not the totality of what we know and what we're looking at. Every person who has testified, every person who's done a deposition has confirmed and added additional details. Mm-hmm. A number of them will be a part of the public testimony process. The whistleblower, we know President Trump wants to have a foil, wants to have an enemy that he can lift up for his supporters. That's where it gets dangerous. Certainly we know it's illegal, but lots of things have happened in the last couple of years that yeah. uh, have been below the... And, and, and frankly, how can you blame this whistleblower and his legal Council for not wanting to come forward when you've seen the personal ad hominem attacks that Ambassador Yovanovitch is having to deal with, that a decorated uh, service person, Vinman, yeah. is uh, having to deal with. So, you know, why would somebody put themselves up to that kind of threat and that kind of attack? Who has firsthand, Vinman has firsthand knowledge right. of this call. So and he's being attacked, too. Well, he's being attacked, too, of course, and not only by President Trump, by some of uh, President Trump's uh, uh, minions, for lack of a better word. But oh, minions, minions works just okay. fine. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it, Jackie, well, let me ask you a question, because the Washington Post is reporting that there's a growing number of Republican senators that are considering acknowledging that there was a quid pro quo, but that it's not impeachable. President Trump responded to that over the weekend, saying, quote, false stories are being reported that a few Republican senators are saying that President Trump may have done a quid pro quo, but it doesn't matter. There's nothing wrong with that. It's not an impeachable event. Perhaps so, but read the transcript. There is no quid, quid pro quo. But the, if Republicans started acknowledging that, that would be a shift, at least in strategy. Sure. But the president hasn't been happy with anything the Senate has Senate Republicans have done in terms of defending him. He said that when they were when um, they were trying to say that, you know, it was a secondhand person or they were arguing about process, they he wasn't happy about that. So now that they're trying to explain away the quid pro quo as it as it gets harder and harder to explain this away, he's not happy with that either. Absolutely. It's a shift. It's also a risk. That's a big political risk to just sort of dismiss that as F. Who cares? And and, uh, Chairman Rogers, both uh, Bill Taylor, who was the top or still is the top uh, American diplomat in Ukraine, and Lieutenant Colonel Vindman, who is the Ukraine expert on the National Security Council, both of them have testified, according to the excerpts that we've seen, uh, that they thought there was a quid pro quo. So even if President Trump in his brain there wasn't one, these are people who worked for the president who thought that there was one. Yeah, I mean, clearly you read the transcript. Certainly sounds like it. Certainly people around the phone call sound, felt that there was, uh, including witnesses who went up to Capitol Hill and said, that's why I raised the flag. Something didn't seem right. The one issue that they have is the president of the country says there was no quid pro quo. And, and certainly the person who did the asking, the president of the United States, is saying there is no quid pro quo. So you have to prove it through all of this evidence, by the way, that's why you need to get at the whistleblower, because you're doing material fact to remove a president of the United States. You're going to go through an impeachment. Mm -hmm. And we should not take this as a political event uh, because I hate him, I love him, uh, or anything in between. You need to do this right, exactly right. But, But the president of Ukraine, Zelensky, is a new president of a small country that desperately needs foreign aid 
who has absolutely nothing to gain and everything to lose uh, from confronting I, I, uh, the president I hear you, of the but United again, States. remember, it's an investigation. You have to go through the investigation. And when you're doing an investigation like this against American citizens and you have the victim and the perpetrator both saying the same thing that's different, it just means it doesn't mean that you can't get there. It just means you have a lot more work to do to get there. That was my point in that. I'm not sure that this is a change in strategy as in like uh, they're substantively going fe- to vote differently or it's just them aligning on a messaging strategy. And maybe that's what you were and others were suggesting. There's any kind of messaging right. strategy. They're suggesting a messaging, a messaging strategy. strategy yes. And, you know, you can see by them backing it up in this Washington Post story and other reporting by saying this is totally normal. You know, what the United States has done for decades is to say, listen, Venezuela, if you are better on human rights, we will give you assistance. It is not the same thing. Right. And I think we should stop calling it quid pro quo. We should start calling it uh, looking for political dirt on my opponent uh, and, and holding back military assistance. That's a little bit longer, but if we call it what it is, it's a lot more jarring. It's not illegal. Right now, illegal is short Latin enough. For that. <laughs> it is, but you know, people are making up their own definition. Other people have called it extortion, I mean, or alleged extortion. Sure. Um, but everyone stick around. We'll get more to talk about the new documents that CNN went to court to get access to, what they show about the Ukraine conspiracy theories that President Trump is pushing. Stay with us. In our politics lead, new insight into how the president's former campaign chair, Paul Manafort, all the way back in 2016, was pushing the false conspiracy theory that it was Ukraine that interfered in the U.S. election, not Russia. The details come from more than 270 pages of the former special counsel Robert Mueller's team's notes from interviews and emails and documents that CNN has obtained through the Freedom of Information Act. CNN's Jessica Schneider joins me now. Jessica, this is a conspiracy theory uh, that the president has repeated recently. What are we learning from these new documents? Well, Jake, we're really seeing just how far back Paul Manafort, as campaign chairman, really pushed this unsubstantiated theory that it was Ukraine and not Russia who was responsible for hacking the DNC servers. Paul Manafort was pushing this at the height of the 2016 election and potentially also pushing this to the president, who didn't really publicly go with this conspiracy theory until 2017. So all of this information coming from interviews with Rick Gates, the deputy campaign chair, he was cooperating with Mueller's team. And the interview notes put it this way, saying... Gates recalled Manafort saying the hack was likely carried out by the Ukrainians, not the Russians. Interestingly, Gates also noted that this conspiracy theory was being pushed by Manafort in part because of Konstantin Kalimnik, the dual Ukrainian-Russian citizen, a business associate of Paul Manafort. He was also a key character in Mueller's report. Um, He was indicted for potentially tampering with witnesses that may be testifying against Paul Manafort. So all of this unfolding, giving us this broader picture as to this conspiracy theory that the president has been pushing, especially recently, and of course is at really the heart of the impeachment inquiry here. And we're also learning more about then-candidate Trump's desire to get his hands on Hillary Clinton's emails. Yeah, we've learned it was a constant topic of communication within the campaign, not just by Trump, but also his family members, top advisors. Rick Gates, again, giving this information to Mueller's investigators and putting it this way, saying Gates recalled a time on the campaign aircraft when candidate Trump said, get the emails. Flynn, Michael Flynn, of course, the short-lived national security advisor, said he could use his intelligence sources to obtain these emails. So Gates talked to investigators about how Flynn had these Russian contacts, uh, how he was pushing to get these emails as well. They were strategizing how they could possibly get these emails from WikiLeaks. So a lot coming out in these documents. I will say a lot of these documents, about 300 pages worth, 
redacted, but we will see more of these documents. It's a court order from a judge after a freedom of information request from CNN. So just about once a month, we'll be getting more and more of these documents, which will be shedding more light on potentially what happened in the campaign. Yeah, and Flynn had those intelligence contacts, of course, because he was head of the Defense Intelligence Agency and had worn the uniform of this country. Jessica Schneider, uh, thanks so much. Uh, It's one of the key battleground states that could help decide the 2020 election. And guess what many voters there did not want to talk about? Stay with us. Today's 2020 lead a red alert for Democrats. A new poll shows President Trump could very well again win key battleground states. It's uh, the polling surveyed the six states that Mr. Trump won by the slimmest margins, Michigan, Arizona, Florida, North Carolina, Wisconsin and Pennsylvania. The New York Times and Siena College poll found that in hypothetical matchups against the top Democratic candidates, candidates, it is virtually a dead heat including in four states that Obama won twice. CNN's Kyung Law is on the ground in one of those battleground states, Wisconsin, where it is already a daily fight for every possible vote. Let's do this, Wisconsin. Let's turn it blue, and we've got a year from now to do that. The 2020 battle for Wisconsin starts now. Hi, good morning. We'll get you a clipboard and some lit. Democratic foot soldiers fanning out across the Badger State. Are people talking about impeachment here? It's not what you're hearing at the coffee shops. It's not what I'm hearing when I'm at the hardware store. A year from Election Day, this is a door-to-door mission to find out what matters most to voters here. My name is Trevor. So what's important to you in this election? The jobs and environment especially. Do you feel that it is a house-to-house battle? It is, completely. You know, here you have a community that is in a county that voted for President Obama and also Donald Trump. Racine, a swing county in a critical swing state. President Trump won Wisconsin by fewer than 23,000 votes. We meet Democrat Bruce Dunn. How long did you work for Chrysler? 36 years and two weeks. It's not too many jobs like that now. He's lived Racine's ups and downs. During Trump's term, he's seen some jobs come back. Dunn cares most about the economy and health care. What about impeachment? You didn't, you didn't mention impeachment. Well, I kind of I don't like the impeachment. You know, the people that's on this side, I don't think they're going to jump ship because of it. <laughs> Absolutely ridiculous. Unlike the Democrats, Wisconsin Republicans are talking about impeachment. This racing Packers and Politics Party is one of the 150 GOP events in Wisconsin just this week. These Republican people are very enthused. Is impeachment then helping you or helping the Democrats? I think it's definitely helping the Republican Party right now. I say go for it. Go bring it on. We're just digging in our heels deeper to fight what they're going to do, and we will do it by voting. Hi, my name's Alicia. I'm with the Waukesha County Democratic Party. But driving Democrats, the bitter sting of 2016, and the determination to not have it happen again. If I can convince at least one, maybe two, every time I talk, and I take a packet out, that's going to sway an election. We're talking and it's snowing out. I'm going to keep doing it through the snow. I've done it through worse. We're a swing state. We've been a swing state, but we can swing back. 
Now, Wisconsin Democrats say they knocked on more than 50,000 doors just this weekend. That is double the number that Trump won the state of Wisconsin by in 2016. And here's some instant polling for you, Jake. I asked the party just now, did anyone bring up impeachment? And they said, no, it is not something that Democrats are bringing up organically. Jake. All right, Ken Law in Wisconsin, thanks so much. Let's get another look at that poll from the New York Times Upshot in Siena College. It's not a runaway race for anyone in these states where Donald Trump uh, won, barely in some cases, in 2016. Uh, Jen Psaki, I heard from a lot of Democrats this morning freaking out when they saw this polling, showing that, that Trump uh, was, was leading, or at least within the margin of error, but ahead mm-hmm. over everybody uh, except for Biden in, in a lot of these states. Well, Bernie Sanders had a couple good states there, too. But the idea is that Trump is in a good position. Right. And it should there is some uh, jolting data that was below the surface, including the fact that Democrats have not made as much progress with white working class voters as they thought they had or maybe perhaps many people thought they had. Uh, Also, that two thirds of respondents uh, who said who had voted for Democrats in 2018 said they would vote for Mm -hmm. Trump again. So there are some assumptions that are pretty dangerous that may have been made by Democrats in the past. It should be uh, a jolt to people. I'm happy to see their door knocking. That needs to be happening across the country. Uh, but yeah, Donald Trump is no Democrat is running away with this. And that should be a reminder to people they got to get get acting. We have four battleground states around this table. I'm Pennsylvania. You're Ohio. You're Florida and you're Michigan. When you're back home uh, and I know you're you're a Republican, you're a loyal Republican. But what do you hear that makes you think that that state uh, is still in play, if anything? Well, I will tell you this. Back in 2016, I went. Uh, I was home and went to a place where I have a lot of UAW guys in my district would go and have a drink. So we were just having, you know, catching up on old times. I would have thought that Donald Trump gave them talking points sitting at that bar. Really? And I came home, told my wife that. She said I was nuts and crazy. I said, I don't know what it means, but I've never seen anything quite like it. And remember, they will vote issues before they vote what, what is happening in this town. Matter of fact, they're, you know, Republicans and Democrats and independents look at what's happening in this town and see a, a big mess. At home, they're looking at things like, guess what? They're coming after my health care. The health care that my union negotiated uh, and I have worked hard for when you have three of the top Democrat candidates telling you, and these are Democrat voters normally, that I'm going to take your health care away, you don't get to have that anymore. I'm mm-hmm. telling you, people don't understand what, how that's working against the Democrat Party in places like Michigan. And you watch. They're going to have to reconnect with these voters if they're going to try to get their votes away from a Donald Trump, I think, in this next election. So I'm from Florida. I'm not only from Florida. I'm from the sovereign and independent Republic of Miami. And look, the the amount of time that Donald Trump has spent down there talking about issues like Venezuela and Cuba, he's actually been down there himself and members of his administration doing events to announce policy specifically targeting those areas. Now, you have to ask yourself, why Mm -hmm. is it that he seems to like every other dictator in the world, except for those where there are big exile communities that vote in a swing state like Florida? Mm -hmm. I mean, I'm talking about Venezuelans, Nicaraguans, and Cubans. He has been very effective at micro-targeting bases in those states. And Democrats I spoke to when I was in Ohio actually didn't bring up impeachment as well. We talked a lot more about health care and climate change. Republicans I spoke to actually thought they they were part of the um, camp that thought impeachment was going to help this president. However, Mm -hmm. they are worried about the suburbs. They saw some state legislature seats go by the wayside this in 2018. And so they're very there's some nervousness there. Um, Perhaps it might not flip, but it might not be as much of a lock as perhaps something some people think it is. All right. We're going to keep talking about this because coming up, best laid plan, Senator Elizabeth 
Elizabeth Warren facing attacks from fellow Democrats after telling the nation how she'd pay for her Medicare for All proposal. Stay with us. In our 2020 lead, Senator Elizabeth Warren has announced how she will attempt to pay for her Medicare for All proposal. She estimates it will cost $20.5 trillion, but some experts say that total is likely closer to $34 trillion over a decade. Listen to some of the criticism, not from the Republicans, but from her 2020 Democratic opponents. I think that that would probably have a very negative impact on creating those jobs. I think we have a better way. Just get real with numbers. It's, it's, a, it's a very difficult way to get there, what she's talking about. I will have plans that I can pay for and deadlines that I can meet that are grounded in reality. And that's the Democrats. <laughs> Let's discuss. Jen Psaki, I said this a week or two ago uh, before she was thrown into the briar patch and, and did exactly what uh, Democratic opponents wanted to do. Why even do it? Why even, like, the, even if she wins and she does get some sort of health care plan passed, it's not going to be this. It's going to be something that she works out with Congress. Well, I agree. And look, when Democrats are running, whoever the nominee is next year, they're going to be running against Donald Trump on a platform of he's going to take away your health insurance. He won't cover pre-existing conditions. I think her team probably saw it as difficult for her to be the person with plans who didn't have a plan on this and how to pay for it. Ultimately, I don't actually think the money piece is the biggest problem for her. I know people disagree with me. We did lots of polling when I was in the White House about spending. People don't care that much, I hate to say. What they do care about is what Mike Rogers talked about, which is how this is going to impact them. And the majority of the public still does not want their private insurance taken away. And they don't want to be told, I'm going to take your private insurance away and everything is going to be fine. So I think that's the bigger challenge for her uh, when you look at her plan. And and take a listen to this. This is from Jared uh, Bernstein, a former economic advisor to Vice President Joe Biden, but probably the most progressive uh, economist in the Obama White House talking about how Elizabeth Warren's going to pay for the plan. This debate, this is basically saying I'm going to buy a unicorn and I'm going to pay for it with a unicorn. I'm going to buy a unicorn and pay for it. That is but not one, a good bumper sticker. One, one, one part of the reason is <laughs> no, because she gets sticker. hundreds of millions of dollars to pay for this plan by solving the immigration reform issue, which no president has been able to get legislation passed on. Come on, Jake, if you can dream it, you can do it. No, you can't. And that that is one of the many problems with this is that it, it, it's um, in order to make this work, impossible things have to happen, which is exactly what uh, uh, Jaron Birdstein said there. And she is going to continue this. Just because she explained this, she has a plan to pay for her plan. She's still going to get hit, as we saw by Democrats in the next debate and the debate after that. And she's got to come up with a better answer than she's had in the past. And Anna, here is her response to this very panel we're having right now. Take a listen. Political pundits and even people in our own party don't want to admit it. They think that running a vague campaign that nibbles around the edges is somehow safe. But if the best Democrats can offer is business as usual after Donald Trump, Democrats will lose. What's your response to that? Guilty as charged. You know, look, I, I, uh, I, w- I, I don't understand watching this and observing this as a Republican who is desperately looking for a viable alternative to Donald Trump. I don't understand why Democrats have gotten so in the weeds to the point where there, it feels like a circular firing squad over some of these policy issues, primarily 
healthcare. I'm okay with nibbling. Just tell me, look, I'm going to nibble at healthcare. I'm going to address uh, climate change. And Donald Trump is a misogynist, racist, okay? Okay, I'm good. You know, as long as you acknowledge that we have a problem, that you're going to solve it, that you're going to work in a bipartisan fashion, that you're going to be vigorous about Mm -hmm. even acknowledging that there's a problem and then solving it. I don't understand the need to to, to be into the minutia and discussing it at this level. And Chairman Rogers, let me just point out that Jen Psaki's right in the sense that Donald Trump has been president for three years. He has not introduced any legislation, and all he has supported is attempts to uh, repeal Obamacare, repeal the protection for people with pre-existing conditions. Is it fair that Elizabeth Warren is being held to this standard that nobody's holding President Trump to? Well, I mean, I think they've... they've took it uh, you know, pretty hard in the last election. I think they were held accountable for that. And, and the problem was, was not just their messaging. The replacement had a fix for pre-existing conditions, but they never got there. And I think that was their biggest mistake. I think they just decided they were going to come out with, hey, we're going to repeal. That's what took hold. They never came up with the replace piece. But I will tell you, this: people don't under, should not underestimate when you tell someone you're going to take their health care away, what that means for them and their family. All right, everyone stick around. A new legal loss for President Trump that might end up in the Supreme Court. Stay with us. In our money lead today, President Trump lost his appeal to keep his taxes secret. A federal judge ruled today he must turn over eight years worth of returns to the Manhattan District Attorney. That office is investigating the hush money payments made to porn star Stormy Daniels and Playboy Playmate of the Year Karen McDougal before the 2016 election. The judge saying that despite the president's insistence, he is not immune from investigation. The president's attorney, Jay Sekulow, saying they will appeal all the way to the Supreme Court. Our coverage on CNN continues right now. You can follow me on Twitter at Jake Tapper. Thanks so much for watching. I'll see you tomorrow. Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. I'm Dr. Sanjay Gupta, host of the Chasing Life podcast. In honor of our 10th season, we want to hear from you. Leave us a message at 470-396-0832 and tell us how you chase life. It could be used on an upcoming episode.